Hi, Peter. Hi, Buzz. How does one set an FKT? Well, it's pretty simple. You just be faster than everybody else or be first. Boom. Done. Peter, that was extremely succinct. This could be, indeed, the fastest known podcast. We're 20 seconds in, and the topic, how to set an FKT, has been covered. Well, thanks for having me on, and it's great to see you again. (laughs) However, we could elaborate a little bit more. Because indeed, people are probably planning their 2021 season. They're probably thinking, okay, what am I going to do next? And so our topic on this podcast is how to set an FKT. It is a how-to podcast. And besides the ones that you have personally set, there are now 7,000 FKTs on the website. 6,500 of which you have personally entered and curated There are 3,000 routes, almost all of which you have entered. So one could say you are an expert on the topic. (laughs) I was thinking about it earlier when you asked me to come on the podcast, and I realized that I'm probably saturated. So um, I can't. I can't remember any of them anymore. <laughs> I see. <laughs> that's, that's great. So there's someone who has 10. You know, they can remember every one. They have highlights. They have lowlights. But at, uh, you know, 7,000, um, it's sort of become a little bit of a blur. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Okay. Well, your initial offering was, of course, entirely correct. It's simply be faster than anyone else or... Alternately, be first. You don't have to be fast if you're first. But that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Uh, We're not going to allow just something random, some bogus route that doesn't really mean anything. The route has to have meaning to others. And so if you create a route that passes that standard and you are the first or the first female or male, in other words, the other direction, or the first in a particular style, then you still have the FKT. Yep, that works. But like you said, yeah, you want a good route. And it should be, you know, roots are something that should resonate with you personally. So that's maybe step one of setting an FKT is finding a good route that you that turns you on. Okay, I'm making a note of that. That's a good point. So in other words, you don't just find something that no one else has ever done so you can get the FKT. You find something that has personal meaning. Yeah, and people kind of do what that other thing you just said um, sometimes by just um, doing an FKT that somebody else has done, but doing it multiple times. Like somebody ran the rim to rim to rim in the Grand Canyon while somebody else ran it twice. And then somebody came along and did it three times in a row. And Kristoff did it four times in a row. Yeah. So (laughs) I guess that's being first, but it's also being, um, I don't know, a little out there. Right. Well, as you've seen a lot, can you give, that's an example right there, the multiple repeats of the same thing. And we've also seen, seen new routes, obviously which are really credible. So most of them are, are really interesting and credible. I, I see these things come by and it's like, wow, I'd like to go do that. But then sometimes I say, mm, I don't want to do that. But that's kind of the name of our game, isn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, um, that's why I said earlier, you should do something that turns you on. There's plenty of routes on the website that don't turn me on. And I've probably done things that, you know, a lot of other people aren't interested in too. So um, part of it is the, the personal expression. And uh, yeah. Right. Okay. So that's number one. Oh, I should note that the another option is obviously and kind of the original point is to go it faster. Mm-hmm. And so we have some routes that are have become quite competitive. Obviously, Rim to Rim got real competitive with the ladies. Remember that when the TNF 50 got canceled yeah. and three women in one week went out there and had a go at it? You know, they're all race ready. That's kind of fun. In New England, it's been competitive all along yep. because it's kind of hard to do a new route in England, New England. And so they, they just get after the main routes. And, you know, if you, if you beat a previous time by two minutes, you've crushed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have a nice tight community there, and they they um, like to wail away at each other. <laughs> yeah, I like that. But personally, yeah. I like that. I I I, I like competitiveness. It's sort of like what FKT is all about, really. At its at its roots, right? It's not about scavenging for something that no one's done. It's about running faster than someone has done. Yeah, yeah, but scavenging for something that no one has done if if it's a really good thing that nobody has done you know you've you've established plenty of those and yourself and um people say wow buzz that was amazing what you did i'm gonna go do that route right that's what we like that's kind of fun to see well well peter what this is interesting so what do you this is a wild question open-ended question but what do you see? Uh, where, where do you see this going now for 2021? Is it the cool new route that someone hasn't thought of? Or is it doing an established route in a different style? Or is it doing an established route faster? What, where do you see the energy shifting toward? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's always gone in both those directions of, you know, some people are always about the cool new route that nobody's thought of and other people just constitutionally or you know or most of us can't even dream about saying fkt for the rim to rim to rim but um but there are those who can and those people will continue to go after the big you know popular routes so i think it's both still and you know as many how many routes did you say we had 3000 or something yep 3000 i mean we get multiple new good you know named trails 50 kilometer 100 kilometer trails in the uk or germany or all over the place every single day so i think we haven't quite scratched the surface of you know just classic standard named trails um mountain running up and down a mountain from the standard trailhead, that sort of typical kind of FKT deal. Okay. So people listening to this, keep all those options open, depending on personal inclination. There are new cool routes waiting to be done for the first time and train well this winter because there's established routes that you could get after. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
and new routes that are probably, you know, in your neighborhood, which in the time of COVID, of course, people have been especially interested in. Right, right. Travel is going to be limited for some time to come, I think. Yep. Hmm. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, yeah, well, we're, it's. Uh, I should put out a note on that effect, a personal note, which is it, is, it is a difficult time for many people and less difficult for some of us. I feel blessed if I should just say that I have a good partner, I have a good home, and I have a safe environment, and my heart goes out to those who do not have any of those three. And so I, I, I hope we all pull together and work together and take care of ourselves and each other so that everyone continue, can have a happy and safe and secure life. Yeah, and of course, we're talking about something that's really a gigantic privilege if you have the resources, time, and capacity to be going after these kind of frivolous records. So, you know. We are privileged. We are. Well, what tips, as I say, someone selected a route, Peter, um, whether it's a new route, or an existing route. Mm -hmm. What key things would you like to give them? What advice would you like to give them? Well, do your homework. Like, what is the route? You know, make sure you know what the route is. Maybe, you know, typically one would want to go run the route, see if there's any weird turns or, you know, navigational issues, whether it's on a trail or not. Um, people get lost. So, you know, do your homework. Figure out if it's long enough and you need to get water, where are you going to get water? How are you going to, what kind of support style are you going to do? What, And that comes down to what makes sense to you personally and what's possible or practical or makes sense for the route. Um, That's a good yeah, point because I, I see this come in um, quite frequently. Someone asked about something and they said they want to go try something. And I look at it, and it's like 18 miles long. And I think, why are you asking me? Why don't you just go do it? And then don't worry about it. Uh, do it two or three times. I mean, if it's a 400-mile route, you might want to take one shot at it. But for something 18, 20 miles, go practice it. Do it two or three times until you have it dialed. Yeah, and... um like I remember one came in, I remember this route because I was going to hike it myself, the um, Escalante Overland route. Mm. I think these people were the first people to through hike the whole thing. It's only 85 miles or something, but it's quite challenging navigation. And they lived down there, so they were able to do some scouting trips where they hiked into particular tri tricky canyon crossings and things like that. Um so they really did their homework so that when they went there, they didn't spend a whole bunch of time getting lost. <laughs> Spending a whole bunch of time getting lost is helpful. It's not helpful, I should say. And another thing I've noticed, Peter, is the start finish. You know, things are tightening up. When things get competitive, you need to know what the start finish is. So if someone is doing a new route, so please, listeners, take note clearly identify the exact start, the exact finish, so that the next person can go apples to apples. Well, sure. And when you're submitting a route, you know, 
of course, we uh, require a GPS track so that people can follow what you did. But also, you should provide a you know sort of written description so that somebody who is not that familiar with the area can actually follow it without looking at their phone every step of trying to follow your GPS track. Now we do have a new category called open course. Yes. So that I should not quite a category. It's it's a new variation. Mm -hmm. That would be where there's, you know, maybe it's an off trail route. So you don't have to necessarily follow exactly somebody else's um, GPS track or, but it's important to note that it's one or the other. So either you must submit a GPX file and a written description, or is a designated open course where you have to submit a description, but not the GPX track, because you're saying you're starting at this exact spot, you're finishing at that exact spot, and you're going to these two summits by whatever route you choose. Yeah, something like that. But I, I think, again, it's always good to submit a route description, whether you have the GPS or track or not. Okay. And we should know an open course is a specific designation. Uh, and basically, you have to approve that designation. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, but we do say now, you know, if you're su- submitting a new route, it says in our guidelines, one sentence route descriptions will be rejected. So, <laughs> you know, just spend a few minutes and and write something say what you did or what what your route is and why you think it's cool good point so listeners if you've got something new coming up you got to sell peter i mean <laughs> literally yeah. you got to sell peter if you write one sentence saying i just did this here it is and you're rejected so why is it good? Why would someone else want to do that? And if you don't know why someone else would not would want to do that, then it's not going to be a route. Yeah, and put it this way, if I if I can't figure I'm not going to spend 10 minutes trying to figure out why it's a good route. But if you spend 5 minutes writing something down about why it's a good route, then it is far more likely to get approved. Okay. All right. At 3000 routes on the website, um the, 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 let's say the responsibility is on the submitter. Yep. Yeah, okay. we're crowdsource. Crowdsource database. Well, Peter, what other advice? Here it is. It's November. It's cold. Well, where we are, it's cold. Down under, it's springtime is here. But people are planning 2021. What other advice would you like to give people? Well, yeah, do your do your planning. I guess I already said that, but this is the time of year for those big dreams. Um, and um, do your training, of course. But uh, that's pretty much it. Get get fit, get fast, have a good time. <laughs> All right, literally, and, figuratively. You know, very usually, they like racing. The Training is the fun part, hmm. you know, um, figuring it out, figuring out your strategy. You know, there's, there's routes that have, that require different skills than just running fast. Um, so like, I remember the, uh, one of your routes, the, what we call the rim to rim to rim alt, where you 
run rim to rim to rim in the Grand Canyon, but you have to swim across the river. Um, people, different people have, have used different techniques for getting across the river. Like, um, those three ladies who set the only women's time used a pack raft, which meant they carried a pack raft all the way down to the bottom of the Canyon. But then paddling a pack raft is a lot nicer than swimming. So that was a choice they made. Right. When we did it, we swam across the river and it was cold. <laughs> it's it's a bit nippy. Um, it, well, that's a, that's a fun example, isn't it? Because we, this is a good point because everything you and I have done, we researched it. You know, we didn't get off the couch and just do something. So on rim to rim to rim alt, you know, we've thought about it. I ordered a wetsuit. You ordered a wetsuit. I got the super light wetsuit from Pataguchi. Uh, as a shorty, short arms and short legs, but covered my torso to provide good warmth. Um, and then you and I went down to Boulder Creek and jumped in to see how it would work. Yeah, and swam. And it turned out that Boulder Creek was just about exactly the right temperature, the same temperature as the water in the Grand Canyon. So it was good. Yeah, it was good because I'm not a very good swimmer. So um it was good to feel the buoyancy of the wetsuit. And, you know, we had to drag our, we had to put our shoes in a dry bag and drag that across behind us. So we figured out how to do that and all, you know, just little things. But when you're in the middle of the Colorado river in the bottom of the Grand Canyon, you don't want to be, you know, figuring that out. For the first time. <laughs> it's just not, just not, not a happy situation. <laughs> right. Right. This I like it. And I uh, got those goofy, and we both used those goofy paddle gloves, didn't we? Those training, <laughs> it's what swimmers use to train. So you look like a frog, webbed fingers, mm -hmm. um, but they actually provide greater propulsion. Yeah. And I found some lightweight swim fins for my feet because, like I said, I'm not a great swimmer. So that worked out well. It did. But that's a good example, a good example of practice. Work it out in yeah. advance. But then I recall one area that we failed to think about was when we came back, we had to swim across the river in the dark. And um, it turns out when your eyes are like two inches above the water and your headlamp is about two inches above your eyes, you, you can't really see can't anything. see anything. <laughs> <laughs> we hadn't practiced that. Right. That's true. So well, we we had hoped to get across the river before dark, but right, um, this is true. But uh, yeah, but we did plan it out in that the triangulation was key. Mm -hmm. And so if you if in the Grand Canyon, since there's a strong current, you start at one bank and you end up well down shore at the other bank. And so when you come across back across, you can't start the same spot. You have to go up an equal distance that you drifted down. So you essentially are charting a triangle. And we had that one nailed. So when we came back across, um, it was a little awkward. It's kind of hard to tell where we we're going, but we just paddled and went for it. We came exactly to the beach that we had originally started from. Yeah. But, you know, it speaks to another sort of general principle, which is during your planning um phase you should be thinking about what can go wrong and um also you know that you will never think of all the things that can go wrong so you need in execution to be have some flexibility mm. 
Okay. So some flexibility. Um, you do some risk planning, but you can't ever get it. You can't ever predict it. So I have some flexibility. But, you know, right. if I was doing that trip again, I would take a little tiny, you know, one ounce red light and I would attach it to a bush on the on the shore when we swam across the first time so you could see it coming back. Oh, okay. That's that's a good. So rim to rim to rim alt people. There's a tip from the expert to look, get the blinking bike light mm-hmm. with at least eight hours of battery life. Otherwise, it's not going to work. And put it up on a bush so you can find your way home again. Yeah. Okay. You know, but you would never know that if you hadn't done it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why we're having this podcast. Mm-hmm. So this is the how-to podcast tips from the expert. You're one of them. Um, and as I always do. Anything next for you, Peter? Well, I've been working on this super obscure project. I wouldn't even call it an FKT, but it's um, people know what grids are. That's, you know, like you climb a mountain every, every month of a year. So I've been doing what I call the Flatirons Classics Grid. So there are 53 classic climbs in the Flatirons here in Boulder. And um, I've been climbing those 53 climbs every month of the year since January. And I have only December left. Um, but of course, December is hard because it just snowed today and climbing with snowy rock is not good. So it's not, it's not a route on our website, but it's um, just a personal project and turned out to be a brilliant project for the pandemic because I'm not going anywhere. Right. So you're climbing... Uh, 53 routes once every month, which is about 250 technical pitches all solo once per month. And you only have December left to go. So let's hope you get one week of dry conditions. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Fingers Peter, crossed. Peter, thanks very much. Your tips are very well appreciated. Great. Thanks, Buzz. Good to talk to you. Thanks very much, Peter. I might note that we're recording this on Wednesday, November 25th, and this will be released in two days on Friday, the 27th, the day after Thanksgiving. So even though we're in the midst of a global pandemic, in my opinion, we have a lot to be thankful for. So whomever you see, whomever you encounter, please you know, express a little bit of gratitude for this incredible life we have. This indeed is the 400th anniversary of the landing of the Mayflower, which for people of my ethnic background is a huge deal. And I should note for people who already lived here at the time, that was a total catastrophe. And so we have to keep both these in mind. We have to all learn to live and work together with our different heritage and our different histories. And we have a particular history right now with a person who is number four on the all-time FKT list, with 32. This is a good person to talk to. Welcome, Marcy Beard. Hi, Buzz. It's so great to talk to you today. And we've talked before because you uh, you you get it done. We have been around the country and um, FKTs are just so much fun. Even before the pandemic, it was something I was really enjoying doing. And of course, now we do it a lot more. Well, I'm going to put a link to our previous podcast in the show notes, but I have to ask, I always have to ask you, where are you now? 
always a good question. Um, we are currently <laughs> we're currently in uh, Flagstaff. My husband got a job installing solar here, so we're spending the winter um, up at elevation for once. Usually we're down in the sunshine, but right now we're in a little bit of a colder place. But we're we love Flagstaff, so we're looking forward to being here for a few months. Nice! Wow, installing solar—that's a worthy occupation. Uh, it's something he's been doing for quite a while, and um, I try to support that however I can. You just you run a lot. I run a lot. He supports me on my runs, and I get him to places where he can climb up on roofs. Oh, <laughs> you climb on mountains; he climbs on roofs. And uh, I'm sorry, but you know this is kind of part of how to set an FKT story in your case. Marcy, which is, did you rent an apartment or you, what's your domicile? Ah, we live in a travel trailer. We've been doing that for quite a few years. And so we just park it wherever, wherever we want to go, which um, makes it fun for traveling. And um, we just pick up our house and move. <laughs> That's terrific. And so you could uh, snowbird around the country going for FKTs where the climate is most appropriate. Absolutely. Yes, that's definitely part of the strategy for sure. Well, I'm sorry. I want to I want to get into the how to set an FKT, but in a way you're answering it now because how else you got to 32 here and they're they're spread all over. And so this uh uh nomadic lifestyle, it's not quite nomadic. It's like you said you pick up your house and just move it. That's actually part of it. So I'm looking at your giant list of FKTs here and they're all over the country. So, yeah, from California to the Tetons, North Carolina. Uh, and now your most recent one was in Humphrey Peak, which, of course, is outside of Flagstaff. Yep, yep. So um, that is something we love to do is to travel. And when we travel, we like to explore. And part of exploring is getting out on the trails and up in the woods and the mountains and always pulling up the FKT website, looking at the map and seeing what's um, what's been done before and what adventures there are to do. So we're lucky to have the opportunity to see um, so much of the country. We don't always bring the travel trailer like to Hawaii was our first ones. We flew out there. and um, But other than that, um, it's just amazing. Someday I'd like to go to another country and try some FKTs in other places, but we haven't got quite there yet. Nice. Well, I, I'm sorry. I want to get into this, but I know, I think other people would agree with me. What kind of travel trailer is it? You know, we kind of get into these little things. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's a, it's a 19 foot Jayco, um, toy hauler that we have our toys are bikes and skis and snowshoes and um, gear for mountaineering. So that's our, our toy hauler house. So we've kind of retrofitted it into a space that works for us. And we've, our recent project has been um, taking the propane out and converting it to an all electric trailer. Since John does so much work with solar and um, electricity, he knows how to do these things. So we've been, um, slowly taking our life into uh, an all-electric direction. And I know this is sort of a sidetrack, but <laughs> that's my my work is um, kind of working on a project where we eventually want an electric truck to tow this thing so we can reduce our carbon footprint 
as we're traveling around the U.S., instead of burning diesel, we would like to um, just be as much as possible living off of sustainable energy. So that's our sidetrack there. Oh, well, I, I'm sorry. I mean, you yeah, we want to talk about the specific FKT aspect, but this, in a way, is how to set an FKT, which is one, adopt a lifestyle that enables one to do it, which you have done. You broke up for a second when you mentioned the brand and the year. What was the model year again? Sure. It's a 2007 uh, Jayco Octane Toy Hauler. Gotcha. Thank you very much. And so John is putting PV on the roof. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We have PV. We've had a panel on the roof for a long time. We just recently upgraded to cover as much of the roof as we could. And <clears throat> we've put in a heat pump and t- taken out the propane and the um, the big loud heater and air conditioner and just switched to induction cooking and done everything we can to live comfortably with without without fossil fuels. Wow, good work. And I guess the sidetrack is of interest to me, pardon me, because I live in a net positive house electric. Nice. So I have more, I actually feed back into the grid. And as you did, uh, when I did the renovation in the house, I took out gas. Excellent. Not the heater, have still have a gas heater, but I took out the gas hot water heater because electrical is actually more efficient, oddly enough. Exactly. And uh, yeah. right. And so with the PV uh, does more than I need to actually feed back into the grid. That's awesome. Yeah, we're hoping to have an electric truck eventually, and then we'll be a well-rounded electric family. We ought to have a podcast on this at some point. We'd bring Jared Campbell back on for that. Jared is the maestro of this. He actually kept track of his entire lifestyle, including transportation, and was net positive on heating, transportation. But Marcy, that's a different podcast. So I got to bring us back to it. The topic is, and I'm going to ask you the question. All right. How does one set an FKT? (laughs) That's such a (laughs) broad question. (laughs) So um, (laughs) I have a few steps and um, I'll just go ahead and start from picking an FKT to to, to even focus on. So that's like, for me, number one, as we travel around using the FKT website, pulling up the maps and looking at what's um, already been done in that state. So looking at what the distance is, how much climb, um, what the terrain looks like, and if it's something that I think I can do um, as far as whether it's highly technical, probably not so much my style. And whether the time has been set by somebody like a professional runner, whether it's something I can actually beat. But most of all, really, does this route sound cool? And is it something that calls to me? So these are the things I look at when I'm looking at the FKT list. So picking it. Okay. Yeah, picking the route is the key thing. And you use the, the website. So you travel around and you got the map. You got this bucket list of great routes. You decide, is this for me or not? Exactly. And I've left like several in my wake that I haven't done that I would love to come back and go do again, like look at it again someday. That's one of the harder things for me is not being able to do everything I want to do. Well, we know how that goes, <laughs> <laughs> but you're doing a good job. Okay, once you've got that route selected, uh, how do you approach it? 
So I've got, I always start with a planning sheet, um, looking at timing and um, gear lists and instructions. If I'm going to have a crew, my husband comes out and crews me for the longer ones, which is amazing. So instructions for him, um, especially spend a lot of time with maps, whether I'm buying it or looking at it on the um, Google Maps, um, all the tracks from any previous runners and comparing it to the maps and figuring out exactly where to start, where to stop, um, any peaks that I have to hit and being sure I know exactly where those are because I've been to the tops of mountains occasionally not knowing exactly where the top of the mountain is. So trying to get that straight in advance, um, knowing where I'm going to get water and food resupply um, and making sure everything is set up with the the tracking and then any any scouting that I can do I love to do that's one of my favorite types of workouts is going out and seeing the parts of the route and trying to optimize anything that I can Um, and then if there's any information I need specific to that time like if there's roads that are closed or trails that are rerouted these are the kinds of things I'm looking up. So just a whole bunch of, a huge list of things that I'm going through every time I look at an FKT. Nice. And do you use your phone as a Wi-Fi spot and then bring it up on uh, your laptop so you have a little bigger screen to do that type of research? I do, yeah. Our current internet um it either depends on uh, an RV campground Wi-Fi, which is usually not great. Um, every once in a while you hit a good one, but usually we're relying on our own um, cell service and I'm working toward getting um, a booster for it. So it can be a little more, um, we can go a little more out in the boonies and still have cell service, but yeah, for sure. The phone is our hotspot at the moment. Okay. Again, we kind of went back to the mobile lifestyle, but that's important in this context because you, you're the expert at it. So how you make that work is is part of the discussion, isn't it? (laughs) Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Well, so the mobile hotspot and, and then what map you mentioned maps, is this paper maps? Cause I think that changes so fast. You know, what, what online software people are using it, online apps. What do you do? Yeah. So I love paper maps. I have an orienteering background and I'm just so used to, relying on carrying a map and a compass around. So it's actually harder for me to switch to something electronic um, like a GPS. So um, sort of have something in the middle, which is where I'll find any paper maps that I can. Um, I'll use my topo if I need to order something to have them send me a printout. And then I'll get online and see what's out there. Um, The tracks from previous runners is always really helpful, but I'll I'll focus on Google Maps and the satellite view and put stars on my maps. So I'll take I'll take a Google Map and start adding stars on the route and then downloading it to the phone so that when I'm out there and if something's not making sense with the map that I'm carrying, usually I'll still carry a paper map anyway. And if something's not making sense on the ground, I can pull out my phone and look at the stars on there and see where I am compared to where I'm supposed to be. So I don't have like a really perfect system. I know there's better ones out there that I can actually download tracks to, but I haven't got that set up yet. Um, So I'm kind of already carrying enough different electronics that (laughs) 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 I don't really like just holding the phone and walking with it. Like I'd rather stash the phone and just run. So 
that's that's where I'm always like I can run with a map in my hand, but the phone is a different story. So I'm always trying to interesting. Right. I like that, Marcia. I like it. That's that's a stylistic thing, right? Because I've I've and some big routes that we're doing tracking now on, Peter and I are often usually Peter will be watching their track and say, Oh, no, don't no, don't do that. Go go over that you're you're getting off route. And then it turns out they were watching their phone. Right. And right. and the and the phone, of course, the signal bounces around canyons and things like that. And if they were better at reading the map and following the route on the ground, they might not have taken a wrong turn. But sure. on the other hand, the phone is killer. I mean, I'm, I, I'm no way I'm criticizing that. I don't leave home without a phone. Yep. So it's an interesting balance to walk. It is. And I've also got the InReach Mini, which pairs to the phone. So you get you can get a better location ping from the Mini. Um, again, it's not something I do very often, but it's on there as a backup. And we use it more for mountaineering when we know we're going to be up high and we have to be in the right spot. So I'm still working on that system. Right. That's a good call. So for listeners, the Garmin InReach Mini, which we recommend, it's a little expensive, but it's very light and is extremely well-featured. So it's a PLB, a personal locator beacon, but it also has texting capabilities. So once it's paired with the phone, instead of having to have tiny little fingers, you can type out a message on your phone and anywhere there's a satellite, which is everywhere in the world, you can send something to your husband, for example, and say, whoa, I'm going to come down this other trail, not where I expected to. You can actually send texts like that with no cell phone service. Exactly. I actually just upgraded to the mini this year. So I have the older one, the big one, and we're just about to set up um, service for John on that one. So he can do support for me without cell service on our, on my next FKT run. And um, exactly what you said. I love the mini because it's so much smaller, but it does the same things. And um, and it also saves um, tracking to the to the mini um, that doesn't get uploaded. So I can do a lot more frequent tracks. Um, I've got it set for 30 seconds right now. So it saves it to the mini itself. Um, and I only upload um, every 10 to 20 minutes to the online map for people watching. But it, so I can still have a much better, uh, more refined track for people to use later. Wow. That's interesting. First I've ever heard of that. So you have it set for uh, uh, pinging every 30 seconds, pinging the satellite. And of course you could set this uh, with infrequent pings dramatically saves battery life, but then your route isn't that accurate. But then it only uploads to the online tracker at a different interval. I, I, that's, a, that's clever, Marcy. Exactly. So I don't use it enough to pay for the plan where I get unlimited points. I'm kind of going back and forth between which plan. If I use the freedom plan, I pay for every point, but only the points that get uploaded. So, but I can still save a much better route um, that people can use later to go back and see what I did. Right. So when you submit your GPX file, then it's, it's more detailed, it's more accurate because if you're, you know, uploading every 10 minutes, well, you know, people can see where you are and that's that's perfectly fine, but you can't follow that track. Exactly. So a lot of my older um, FKTs have just that not very um, 
refined route on there every 10 to 20 minutes. And it's a lot harder to say, oh, yeah, she did exactly the right thing. Um, so I'd much prefer to be able to show to prove that I did the route exactly as I was supposed to. Wow, this is brilliant because we get this question. We have people writing in and saying, is it OK if I use a PLB? Um, will that be accepted as verification? And the answer, by the way, is yes. Yes. And you don't have to have it pinging up all the time. We want to know the start. We want to know the finish. We want to know that you did the route. But you've you've refined it by splitting those so you have backup verification while not using battery life with the online tracking. Exactly. So, um, yes. So I use the the messages, the preset messages at the start, at the finish. And if I'm hitting certain points that I have to prove that I was at the top of the mountain, I'll hit the preset message there with an okay message to say, yes, I was here. I'm not relying on the inReach to just save that, hopefully at the right time. Wow. I like this, Marcy. This is a great conversation. I'm learning a lot. So what else? What what else should you tell me and other people who are I mean, you got the, the 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 breadth here from how to live the life, which is actually one of the most important things, <laughs> and uh, in a sustainable manner, which is also very important, but also this good technical know-how. What else is up your sleeve? Oh, sure. I guess it helps that I don't have a nine-to-five job, so I can time the FKTs to what works best for me, what works best for the weather. Um, what time of day I'm out there, if I prefer to run during the day, or if it's really hot, maybe I want to do it at night. Um, and then checking when parks are open or closed, so trying to time it around doing things legally. Um, that's something that um, sometimes comes into play. Um, there's a couple FKTs. There's one specifically running around the Bay Area in California that I would love to do, but a lot of the parks out there have open and closing times, and I haven't quite figured out how to make that work. Um, the Foothills Trail that I ran in North Carolina, South Carolina, had um, closing time for the top of Sassafras Mountain and and the park on one end, and um, or maybe both ends. So I was like spending a lot of time trying to figure out how to work around all of that. So that was a lot of fun, but it's something that without, you know, a race that says you have to start at this time on this morning, you can do do it whenever you want to. And maybe there's more people out on the trail and they would be getting in the way on a Saturday morning. So Tuesday afternoon is better. So trying to figure out when the best time is for me is something I, I spent some time in as part of the planning. Nice. Good call. Um, you've been really successful. What wasn't? <laughs> we always talk about this, right? We always say, wow, you know, we've got these amazing runners, amazing athletes doing these amazing things. So what, what sucked? <laughs> so far I've um well part of it is picking routes that don't have a female time that's part of what's been the secret to my success because we need more women doing this um I would love to see and we are seeing more this year and, and I think it's wonderful um even some of the technical stuff which is spectacular I'm, I'm so excited about that but there are still so many routes out there that men will set up and go run and compete on but we don't have a women's time. So I'll go out. Okay, all I need to do is, is finish this thing. And so I just make sure I set myself to, up to finish. And then every once in a while, I'll find one that has a time that isn't 
super fast, but there's an actual time to beat. So then I have to be more careful with planning my splits and figuring out how long it's going to take and do I even have a shot at it. And that's that's actually a lot more fun because then I'm I've got I'm watching my watch and I'm watching my splits and will I make it? And I guess your question was what doesn't what didn't work and I guess I haven't hit one yet that I've tried and failed at. I'm sure it could happen anytime now. I'm about to start um, tonight actually trying the Flagstaff Fearsome Four, which is hitting the four peaks around Flagstaff. One of them is um, Humphreys Peak. There is some snow up there. And um, luckily, the snow that happened a couple weeks ago is mostly melted out lower down. But there's snow up high. There's a traverse on the Weatherford Trail. And then the time that's that I'm trying to beat, I'm like looking at the splits going, you know, that's really close. If I have problems, I may not make it. So it'll be fun. It'll be interesting. Um, I haven't really answered your question, but to <laughs> but it's always possible I could fail at one. And I don't know if that would suck necessarily. It'd be more like a learning experience and what could I do differently? Could I come back and make it or is it just no chance? But the one, the things that actually do suck during an FKT is every once in a while finding um, a road that's closed or a route that's impassable or something that's ambiguous, getting to a spot going, oh gosh, you know, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing here. Um, something's changed since the last person came through and then I need to adjust. And and the adapting part is, is great. I have no problem with that. I'm an adventure racer at heart and trying to figure out how to work around problems is, is all up in my wheelhouse. But um, then you're kind of like going, well, I don't know if this is going to count. So I'm in the middle of this FKT. I can't, you know, call Peter and say, hey, what should I do in this situation? I need to figure something out. Hope that it's good enough and that you'll you'll accept it as, you know, as an FKT that's completed the way it's supposed to be. Well, that was a good answer. You've, you've, you, you have your list of things to do and you've executed them. And so you've been very successful. This is, you're a good person to talk to. Anytime. Anytime. <laughs> I've really been enjoying this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been enjoying this conversation. I've been learning a lot and good luck on the Flagstaff Fearsome Four. It's, uh, it's a bit nippy up there right now, if I might point out. It is. Um, part of my planning on the timing is um, actually focused on the wind on top of Humphreys Peak. So if I can um, go hopefully early tomorrow morning, get up there, get up high early before the wind picks up in the afternoon. Um, yes, it will be cold, um, but I grew up in Vermont, so I just, you know, wear more clothes. <laughs> Arizona's easy. Arizona should be easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have uh, Helen Galericus just set the FK, female FKT in July. Um, so she probably had an opposite tack, but you're going to be up there with a the headlamp because uh, her time is a little over 21 hours. So you're, you're, the headlamp's going to be an important factor. Yeah, I'm going to have lights at the beginning and at the end for sure. But I'm working on Humphreys in daylight and actually um, over to Eldon also during the daylight. But um, darkness on both ends is fine. Um, I don't mind running in the dark and I'll have my husband out there at the trailhead. So someone's watching out for me. Terrific. I appreciate that. And you know that Humphreys Peak, the highest in Arizona, but the group that you're going to do is called the San Francisco Peaks. Do you know how it got that name? 
That's a great question. It sounds like you do. <laughs> it was named that because they're so high and they have such a huge, powerful view that you could see San Francisco from the top, <laughs> which you can't, not even close. But that's how it got its name. <laughs> the Grand Canyon from the top. <laughs> that is totally true. Uh, there's the Kaibab Plateau, which from up there, it's flat, right? It's this big, flat plateau stretching out to the horizon. And there's this insane slot. And you could see the entire length of the Grand Canyon from where you are going to be, sounds like, tomorrow at dawn. Hopefully. We'll see if I make it. Yes. Um, it's a wonderful landscape. I love it because it has all these volcanic cones. So it's not just the big ditch, but all the 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 topography in the middle of the flat plains is is just so much fun. There's lava flows, there's cinder cones. It's it's a really neat place. I thank you very much for your time and best of luck tomorrow. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you, Buzz. It's been great talking to you and happy holidays to you too. That was really interesting. Thanks very much. This is good information. And now before we get to our third expert in the field, quick FKT update. We have now added a donation box to each FKT uh, submission form and each root submission form. And frankly, um, the three of us, co-founders, all volunteers are maxed out on the services we'd like to be providing all of you. And so we're actively submit, uh, soliciting donations so we can keep the services coming. Actually, we want to provide more services. Um, but the person I'm about to talk with has been supporting the site very well, and he has by far the most FKTs of anyone. And I'm, of course, speaking with Jason Hardrath. Welcome, Jason. Buzz, it's a pleasure to be here again. Well, thanks for taking time out from your busy schedule. Now, your busy schedule is a little different than other people's busy schedule. Where are you right now? Right now, I am in Utah. Okay, and you're based in Oregon. Yep, based in Southern Oregon. Um, I'm off on a on a holiday break for the full week, so I decided to slip out into the middle of nowhere, Utah, for the time being. And uh, you, of course, are sitting in your state-of-the-art Sprinter van, are you not? <laughs> uh, I am in a retired ambulance, an E350 from 1995. Um, yeah, so state-of-the-art it still holds together. <laughs> it's, 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 it's what the Ghostbusters drove. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, except it has a cooler paint job. Oh, okay. All right. But not a cooler logo. Well, this is pertinent because this uh, the topic, of course, is how to set an FKT. And you have set 82, which is 20 more than anybody else on the site. So you are literally an expert on the topic. But uh, b before we get your instructions for everyone on how to do this. I note that you slowed down a little bit here, Jason. Look at this. You, your last FKT was a whole 22 days ago, which for you is a long time since you did nine in the month of October only. So you didn't break your leg or anything, did you? Uh, no, I did not. And actually, I do have more FKTs than that completed. Uh, they have just not been put up to the FKT site yet. So I guess wow. people will have to wait and see. Um, yeah, I actually was at 84. And I feel like this kind of ties into our conversation. It might be a good segue. Um, I was at 84, but I kind of went and looked back over my list from the past. 
um, from back in 2018 when I first started. And I'd kind of, you know, not really known a lot of how to do what I was doing. I was new to the FKT world. And so I went out and saw some routes that didn't have times that were on some trails in Oregon. I'm like, oh, I'll go do those. And when I went back and looked over, I was like, oh, look, some previous times that were faster than mine got uncovered and submitted. And I mean, I think for the typical person who's, you know, just going out and doing an FKT every once in a while, it probably doesn't matter if there's one on the site with their name still on it, where it's like, oh, wait, you never actually had the fastest known time. But since I'm on this silly journey to 100 FKTs, I was like, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and have Peter take my name off of those, because it feels like the right thing to do. If I'm going to talk about how many FKTs I have at all, if that's going to be a, a topic of conversation, then I need to make sure I actually had the FKT and it wasn't just a, a case of um, not doing good enough research. That's a good point. And a uh, high integrity, Jason, thank you very much. And actually does bring up a good clarification. And this is something that we cannot possibly resolve entirely, but we do want to do as best as we can. So we listeners should know this. This is our how-to podcast. Should know that we do not you know, some algorithm that searches the World Wide Web to find out all the fastest times. So we are a crowdsourced database. So when people like Jason or Marcy, whomever, all you listeners submit an FKT, that's it. We know what you tell us. But then like Jason, if something comes up that turns out was faster, it's still an FKT. You see what I mean? So it's a little bit of a gray area. And Jason, we appreciate your integrity in that. But again, listeners, we're crowdsourced. We are as good as you make us. So keep those submissions and clarifications coming in, and we'll do our best to list them fairly and squarely. Yeah. Um, I guess just to, to piggyback on that, it kind of a, a recent frustration that popped up is a an FKTer who didn't have a background in running kind of came through uh, our local area where and ran on some of the trails that our local runners had been running on and you know because he was a backpacker he really didn't you know sort of maybe have the the depth of knowledge of you know running and running culture and routes that regularly got run on training runs by you know local fast people and submitted a few without doing any real prior research on the times and they you know they were routes that fit the rules there was a little you know a loop and uh, a local mountain um, and I'd actually considered the the local mountain submitting it myself as one but I was like ah it's not quite good enough. It's not quite as classic as some of the other mountains in the area. So I'm not going to submit it. And I'd like already sort of put it in the back of my mind. Um, and then they started popping up on the website. Um, and I was like, Oh, wait a minute. Like someone's coming through and does think they want to submit these as FKT routes, which I kind of had to be like, okay, that's fine. Like they fit the rules. Um, but the issue was, and I, I think I got a bit defensive because it was like, hey, these these are my times and my friends' times, people who I run with that aren't sort of getting respected. Um, and I think that that kind of provoked sort of a greater attention to detail and is why I went back through my own list to see if there had been any times that beat my own, um, was sort of turning that reflection back on myself. 
Um, but yeah, a, a basic tool someone can use to at least do a little double checking is if you're going to run a route and the route seems pretty simple. It's like a, a fairly non-technical mountain run or a trail loop that it, that the thought is, okay, someone has to have been able to run this before. It doesn't have some uh, crazy technical element. It doesn't, it's not insanely long where it seems reasonable to think someone could have gone out and done their long run for the weekend on it. Then an easy thing to do is to find any partial segment that's along the route, you know, assuming the whole route doesn't have its own segment. And you can click through those. And usually what I'll do is I'll look through like maybe the top five or the top 10, and I'll click to their actual run to see if they ran the entire route of what I'm trying to do. And if I find someone who has a faster time, uh, or did the whole route rather, and has a fast time, I'll go out and either beat that time and, you know, submit myself. Or if it's like, okay, that's crazy fast. I don't think I have the physical ability. Then I'll send them a message and be like, Hey, I'm going to submit this route as an FKT. Cause I think it's a, a classic cool route. And I see that you have the fastest time. Here's the link to submit. Um, and if, you know, they, if they either don't have a presence on, you know, Strava as a social media, like they don't respond, then I think probably an okay thing to do is include their times in the, either the route description or in a comment below. Um, but probably shouldn't submit that data for them without their permission. Okay. So what basically you're saying, do the research, look into this first. So if it looks, if you're out there in the middle of Montana, okay, maybe it's an okay to you, the first person to do it. But if it's somewhere else, someone's probably done it first. And so check it out before submitting it to us. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like do, do at least a little legwork. Don't just assume uh, that, you have the fastest known time if you go out and slow jog something on a route that probably gets done pretty often. Okay. Um, you know, just, just a little bit, you know, put in a little bit of effort, you know, and I don't want to be over the top about it. Like, Oh man, you need to, you know, call up the local running clubs and like ask who runs it. And yeah, you know, it's not to that degree. Just at least look, look through some of the segments that exist on the route you're going to do. And if you okay. can't find anything, if you can't find anything, then, okay, go for it and submit the FKT. And if someone after the fact is like, hey, wait a minute, our local running group runs this all the time and I have the fastest time, then just go, okay, you have the fastest time. I didn't know there was no way to find it. It wasn't on you know, Strava or anything like that where I could find it. I appreciate you letting me know. Right. Good call. So you do a reasonable amount of research and then you submit it and if someone says, hey, here's my documentation. Of course, they do have to document. They can't just say, wow, 10 years ago, I did it faster. But if they provide the verification, you say, hey, fine, no worries. Here it is. Uh, that's a good way to approach it. And yeah, I just, you know, maybe I'm keyed in on the integrity element a bit just because I, I am in this process of this journey toward 100 FKTs. And so I want to, I want to have done it right. Not just like, oh, I got the, because I didn't do my research fastest time. Um, I want to actually have like looked into it and gone, okay, from what could be reasonably found with, with a, you know, an hour or two, or maybe even less 30 minutes of effort. Um, okay. But I can tell I have the fastest time. Good, Jason. That's an excellent tip. And you indeed specialize in new routes. Some people specialize in doing existing routes faster, but you have, I think, 
a specialty in establishing new routes? Yeah, I would say I'm, I'm split about 50, 50. Um, cause there's a lot of awesome routes that other people have submitted that absolutely like are amazing to repeat, but I also really enjoy, um, and I guess this gets into sort of the creative process of establishing new routes. I like to kind of go back through my memories as a runner and as a mountaineer, um, and think of places I've sat, you know, ridgelines I've seen where it's like, oh man, I sat there and I looked at that ridgeline and went, wouldn't it be so cool to traverse that whole ridgeline? It's like, that's an obvious, you know, thing for an FKT route, because you're probably not the only one. You can imagine yourself sitting in a place going, wow, wouldn't it be amazing to go across that whole ridgeline? Probably other people have thought that too. And then there's the element of, okay, I better at least do some research and make sure nobody has um, or if they have, right. how so in, term, so in terms of other people who want to set an FKT, which is our topic today, you're suggesting a lot of these grows from previous trips. You're out there, you're looking out, you're going, wow, what's that over there? So you're always sort of keeping a mental bucket list. Is that a suggestion yeah. for other people? A mental bucket list. And you're sort of, you know, just like the FKT website says, you want it to be something that other people will want to repeat. And if, if you look at something and you instantly are awed by it and you, and you instantly have these thoughts of, wouldn't it be so cool to, you know, fill in the blank, whatever it is, link up these peaks, you know, climb, climb, uh, here's one hearkening back to you and Peter, uh, climb Rainier, Adams and Hood in a day, like, cause you can see all three of them from the summit of any one of them. Um, you know, things like that, where you're like, okay, other people are going to see this and feel the same way. So Good point. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think. But, uh, yeah. Jason, if I may, that's an excellent uh, bit of advice. So you're not looking for something that someone has not done. That's because there's a bazillion, there's an infinite number of things someone has not done. What you're looking for is something that's really good, that really strikes your fancy. Absolutely. I mean, personally for me, because of my skill sets, I'm looking for something where I need to be pushing my body between half a day and a day usually. Um, and has technical elements, whether that's snow travel, glacier travel, um, exposed terrain, hard scrambling, rock climbing, canyoneering. I'm looking for something where it's going to mix skill sets and do it in sort of a fresh way, or maybe it's, you know, the first iteration of somebody truly doing it light and fast, but on those particular routes, mixing those skills. Um, right. And and that's, that's what I truly love. I'm not just looking for like, oh, I just want to find some space that no one else has run a GPS through. And I'm going to run the, my GPS from this point to this point, And I'm going to call it the FKT of whatever. Um, I right. definitely, I personally search out a degree of skill and a degree of like fear <laughs> in my oh. route. Ah, okay. Well, that's a third bit of advice, which I think is very pertinent. The first was do the research. Secondly, if you're not just looking for something that no one's done, that's kind of boring and there's sort of infinite there. You're looking for something that's really good and strikes your fancy and others will want to repeat. And thirdly, your bit of advice, which I think is really interesting, is it meets your skill set, what you want to do. And as you just said, you're not you're not going to go run a road. Your particular skill set is a little bit of adventure, a little bit of technical. Absolutely. Those are the, those are the FKTs for me um, that feel the most authentic and are the most engaging um, is when I truly put 
my various skill sets to use and try to use them as as fast as I've ever used them or in a new space where I've never used them before. Um, that's that to me is when you're going to find the maximum level of engagement um, mm. as opposed to, you know, me, if I get out and just run a trail, I, I sort of in my mind, even if I can find no faster times on that trail and it's a named trail system from end to end or whatever, there's always this thought in my mind where it's like, you know, someone could show up and definitely run this faster than me because I'm not that fast of a pure runner. Right. But how many people can do the Yosemite picnic? <laughs> See that that's one. Yeah. Where you mix, mix those skills. How many people can, can bike that far with that much climbing and then swim a, open water across the middle of a lake um, and then do technical rock climbing um, with a decent amount of running in between and then reverse the whole thing. Like that second swim, you've got to be, <laughs> you definitely have to know your body to go and swim into the middle of a lake after, you know, biking that much and then running and rock climbing that much. Um, so to me that, that fits all of, all of the elements. It involves my background in triathlon with the swim, bike, run. It involved my, you know, mountaineering rock climbing experience and just managing fear and the, the headspace, like doing that rock climbing and then coming into the second swim and dealing with, cause I did have cramps while swimming, um, where I had to like roll over and, you know, like rub a cramp out in my calf and then go back to swimming and just like kind of go, okay, this is part of the gig and not mentally, you know, fold up. But you know, those, those are the skill sets. Everybody's skill sets are going to be different and everybody's looking for a different kind of experience. Um, but I think, yeah, the, the FKTs that you're going to enjoy the most are going to be the ones that feel like they truly engage the skill sets you've bothered to develop in your life. And sometimes it's good. I, I think sometimes people now are looking for like an FKT they can just go do quickly, you know, sort of like signing up for a race. Um, but I think the races we respect the most too are the ones you really have to prepare for very personally. Um, they're difficult enough or have enough, you know, crazy terrain that you have to be very ready for that specific race. And I think FKTs are the same way where, yeah, you could find a lot of FKTs where you could just show up and go do it. Um, but having FKTs where, you know, someone, someone asked, oh, why don't you make the picnic easier when uh, Ryan and I were developing the Yosemite picnic? And it's like, well, no, we don't, we don't want this one to just be a come show up and you can do it without any preparation kind of route. We want this to be a route where someone has to come and spend some weekends of their life in Yosemite rehearsing the pieces in order to be able to then come and put it together. It, mm. it, it's, it's a route that demands respect in that way, as opposed to a route where it's like, yeah, if I show up and I'm not prepared, nothing bad will happen. Right. Uh, well, I'm going to add that to a fourth bit of advice from you, commitment and respect the route, if you don't mind me paraphrasing that a little bit. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, good, good analogy to a, a, a race that someone really appreciated doing and, and always remembers. Well, Jason, how about something that didn't work? You know, we always talk about the big successes, naturally, why not? But what, what, what failures, what, what sucked? One that comes to mind immediately is very early um, – in my discovery of FKTs, I went and attempted, I think it was like called the Sonoma Four Peaks or something. And I came into it without looking up like the pacing very well. 
I was just like, okay, this one is, seems like it's within uh, like a runnable distance. And I didn't really taper for it. I think I'd done an effort the like weekend before. Um, so I was kind of on tired legs and just came in and like clawed at staying on pace for like three quarters of it. And then just my body was like, couldn't maintain the pace. And that was kind of bummer to like show up and not, not be in the shape and not be in the condition. And like to know I could have done a better job if I just would have looked at the metrics, you know, climbing metrics and, and, uh, just like pacing metrics of where my body was and what would have been required to take that FKT. Um, and I feel like that's always, that's always a big bummer when you don't, you don't do the prior research to enough detail, um, beforehand. And then you show up and sure enough, it's like, oh, I obviously should have known I shouldn't have attempted this on this weekend. Um, nice. Yeah. yeah little, not quite enough respect and not quite enough research. Yep. I guess you could say I learned, I learned the hard way in, in my, my early adventures. <laughs> okay. Well, speaking of what has come before, you mentioned you're in the middle of Utah and it's tradition on the fastest known podcast to ask people what they're doing next. Where are you in Utah? I am down in Southwest Utah right now. Yeah. Like where, if I may ask, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to come, I'm not going to come there and find you. I'm just trying to, <laughs> <laughs> I'm right outside of a Chipotle in the corner of St. George, St. George. Oh, okay. St. George. So uh, you wouldn't happen to be going into Zion, would you? Maybe, or at least nearby. <laughs> <laughs> Well, good for you. It's a wonderful part of the country. I think they've had some development issues down there. I think a little bit of uh, urban planning would have helped Springdale and St. George out a lot. But as soon as you get into the public lands, it's fantastic down there. So good for you. Zion, you know, Sean O'Rourke was one of our podcast guests a few weeks ago. And I suggested Zion to him. So he went in there and started stomping on a bunch of things about 10 days ago. So may you have as good a fortune as Sean did, Jason. Yeah, actually, that's funny because I, I saw Sean went through buckskin and I commented to him. Um, I was like, hey, you should, uh, you should go for the FKT on that. So he like went back the next day and crushed the FKT on that. <laughs> and he's like, hey, thanks for the advice. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And of course, buckskin... I mean, you could do it in half of FKT space. You would have had a very good day. Oh, yeah. It's an amazing canyon. Um, worth a visit, regardless of how fast or slow. In fact, both of us agreed. He and I both agreed. Uh, it's like, if you're going to go do the FKT on this one, go do it slow. <laughs> the, like the day before or a few days before. And then go do it fast. Because it's absolutely you don't want to miss going through it slow. Wow. I'm going to write this down. This is my personal. If someone's going to ask me, Jason, you just mentioned one of my standard responses, which is do it twice. And buckskin is a great example. You don't want to blaze that one your first time through. You that's that'd be a big mistake, wouldn't it? And so many of them, particularly out in south, uh, actually southeast Utah, is just insane. And so you, you want to see it, you want to feel it, you want to experience it. And then once you got that under your belt, okay, then, then go back and get after it. I think the 18 miles from uh, Wire Pass to the junction with the Perea is considered by some to be the best slot canyon in the world. 
That is what I've read. Yeah. Jason, thank you for taking time out from your busy schedule, such as it is. And I often say, well, I look forward to hearing more from you, and I'm sure we will. I think there's uh, uh, the, the our, our little submissions uh, emails are going to start rattling here in the next few days. <laughs> they should be. They should be. Stay safe. Keep up the good work. I look forward to staying in touch. Absolutely, Buzz. It's always a pleasure. 